If you live for the trophy, you'll die for the trophy. When I was in middle school, my parents and I decided to enroll me to a a small private Christian school called King's Academy. Now, I'm sure their motive in enrolling me was that I would grow closer to the Lord, that I would be surrounded by Christian friends that will will help me in in the faith. And and that happened, but if I can be honest with you guys, and my parents are in this room, I only wanted to go because there was a girl that went there that I kind of liked. And I was like, if she goes there, I'm there, right? And so I enrolled into this small private Christian school. I mean, it was small. I'm talking about my, the entire eighth grade were like 20 students. And one thing you need to know about a small school, that if anyone new shows up, they automatically become the person of interest. Like, I remember showing up in, in my new uniform, and all the little girlies was like, oh, look at him. He's brand new. Oh, I'm going to marry him. Like, you know, eighth grade. Like, what is going on? And I, I remember even the high schoolers like, oh, look, it's new, new people. I felt very wanted. If you live for the trophy, you die for the trophy. At the end of the school year, we had a time where we were giving out awards to students. Like, you guys know the awards I'm talking about? Like, best smile, right? Just Colgate, you know? Uh, or you get, you get the, the award for best dressed, which was confusing because we all had the same uniform. So I'm like, okay. You know, you got the, the, the award for most likely to succeed which I think puts a lot of pressure on someone. Like, what if they don't succeed? Do you just rip that out of the yearbook? I don't know. But there was an award that that I wanted because what happens is we would all vote for who to get this award. And the award that I wanted was actually called the Most Wanted Award. And in my mind, I'm like, you know what? I want that award. That that the reputation of Chocolate Bear that would be that, man, all the people wanted him. And so I remember campaigning for this award. Sounds pretty dumb, but I campaigned for it. I remember talking to all the other uh, classmates in different grades, and I was talking to the girls, flirting with them. I was like, what's up, girl? Dang, you look good. I see what you did with your eyebrows. You drew that in. You drew that in, you know? And I'm like, you should vote for me for most wanted. And they're like, okay, yeah, sure. Then I would talk to other girls, and they're like, they're like, Oh, I know you want that award, but but Ian talked to me, and Ian said he wants to get that award, and I got frustrated. I was like, "What? No, don't don't go for Ian. No, that dude. No, I mean he's good looking, sure, whatever. He's skinny, he's got abs, but don't vote for him. You know, like he's lame. He's not as wanted as me." And I convinced them to vote for me. And so at the end of the year, they're presenting the award. Best smile, most likely to succeed. And then it goes, and the award for most wanted is Chris Reynolds. And I started strutting up to that podium. I was like, what's up, yo? And then they described the award. They said the award for the most wanted is the troublemaking kids. Is the most wanted criminal kids, the bad kids who just never paid attention, who the teachers had a hard time with, never paid attention in chapel. That became me. First of all, I'm like, wow, what an award to give at a Christian school. You know, just, oh, you're the loser? Here you go. No, you're just. But second, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is now the reputation that I have forever with my friends, with my parents. Ironically, that was the only time I actually went to that school. I think they took me out after that. But if you live for the trophy, 
you'll die for the trophy. But in our context, if you die to the trophy, you'll live for his glory. You'll live for his glory. Today, as we continue our series on the sermon, uh, uh, our sermon on the mount, talk about up on a mountain. Jesus is, is, is giving the greatest sermon ever told, ever preached. I want to ask a question, and I want you to, to be asking yourself this question over the next few minutes. Ready? What's the trophy that you're chasing? What is the trophy that you're chasing? See, because our culture, our world does a fantastic job at showing us different shiny trophies, right? We'll have a trophy, they'll show a trophy of success. That if you have this certain job and you make this certain amount of money, then that's the trophy that you strive for. Or they show the trophy of fame and recognition. And we're like, wow, that person is known. And so I'm going to chase that trophy. They show bigger, nicer cars, better houses, uh, the newest gadget, and they show the trophy to us and they say, come on, come get it. And because they flaunt it, we want it. What's the trophy that you are chasing? Because some of us do chase trophies. Some of us do chase a financial status. I can just make this much amount of money. I can just have this much in the bank. I'll be good. Some of us chase the trophies of the newest and best thing out there, the newest and best gadget, the bigger house. I get more land. I get more stuff. And we live in a culture that most of our stuff is in a storage unit. That's scary. And we chase these trophies. Some of us chase the trophies of having the perfect body, which I have yet to accomplish, right? <laughs> You know what I'm talking about, right? The people that go work out like 400 times a day, you know, <laughs> and they eat carrots all day, and they're like, wow, I just got 12,000 abs. You know, you just, you're like, and they, but everything, their whole life is about being, being, having the perfect body, which again, I'm not saying is a bad thing. It's only unhealthy when it takes away the focus of the one true king. See, some of us chase the trophy of just our own personal happiness. Some of us chase the trophy, ready, of the perfect image of what a family looks like. We see that trophy and we want it. Oh, a perfect marriage looks like that. And so let's chase that trophy. Let's chase that trophy. What is the trophy that you are chasing? Again, trophies aren't bad, but if, if the motive of it takes you away from the presence of God. Can I just be real with you guys real quick? All my trophies from when I was a kid ended up in a box or the trash. All the trophies that the world has to offer you will end up in a box or the trash. Matthew 6 verse 19 says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. See, when trophies become motives then trophies become idols. When your trophy that you're chasing is a motive of why you do the things you do and who you do them for, then it becomes an idol. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Again, we're continuing in this series, multi-series, through the book of Matthew. Now, if you don't know Matthew, Matthew is in the New Testament. It's the gospel account of Jesus' life through the eyes of Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 6, we're in the very middle 
of, again, the greatest sermon ever taught by Jesus. And Jesus takes a look at some of the trophies that people chase. So let's look. Matthew 6, starting in verse 1, says this. Take heed. Stop right there. Take heed. Stop right there. Now, this is not a term that we normally use, do we? Do we tell our kids, hey, son, take heed? No, we don't say take heed. That's not normal vocabulary. But I think it's important that take heed actually means pay attention. Like, hey, listen to this. Why is this important? If you read scripture, you're normally all the time waiting like to hear repetition. You'll hear, oh, Jesus said this three times, so I should pay attention. But Jesus himself now is saying, hey, you better pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. So Jesus himself is saying, hey, pay attention. We should pay attention. Ready? Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your father in heaven. I'm going to stop and say this. I love that Jesus didn't say, hey, if you do charitable deeds, then your reward is this. No. He had the implication that as a Christ follower, as a follower of God, that we would do charitable deeds. I don't think y'all are getting this. If you love Jesus, you would do charitable deeds. If you love Jesus, you would be generous. You get that? And if you don't, though, I mean, or, or, so he goes, that you do not do your charitable deeds before men. The implication of it's important who you do these things for. Because it continues in this, ready? Therefore, when you do your charitable deeds, not if, do not sound a trumpet before you as the dun, 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 hypocrites. That's a word we all know, right? It's kind of like the Christian cuss word. It's like if someone got called you a hypocrite, you're like, oh my gosh. Can I just venture to say that many of us in this room doesn't, don't even actually know what that, that word means? Like I think we define it differently. Context is everything, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. And it says, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may, glory, they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Jesus, in this important sermon, says, pay attention, everybody. Not, my, not so much on what you do, because it's implied that you should be generous, you should be praying, you should be fast, you should be doing all things, but why you do them and who you do them for, because the result of that determines the reward that you actually get. See, the hypocrites in this scripture actually got a reward. It was just from men. That's all they got. And he goes on in, in verse 5, if you jump down to, to another example. He says, and when you pray, not if you pray. Can I just say, we shouldn't need a sermon to tell us to pray. Y'all not catching. It's not about if you pray. If you love Jesus, if you're a follower of Christ, it's when you pray. You shall not be like the, there's the word again, hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Again, they have their reward. Past tense, that's all they're getting. 
And he gives a third example in verse 16. It says this, moreover, when you fast, are y'all catching it yet? Not if, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to who? Men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. It's so important that you understand why you do the things you do and who you do them for. But what was really intriguing to me in this scripture is the word hypocrites. You hear it three times in this, in this, this chapter, hypocrites. Now, I think we don't know what that word means. Like in our context, if I were to ask you what the word hypocrite means, we'd probably say what? Someone that says something but doesn't do that, right? Like they said they were going to do that, but they're not going to do that. Hypocrite. That's what we would normally say. But actually, the Greek word for hypocrite means, ready? Actor. Someone that does something for the show. You know how I know this to be true? Who was the group of people that Jesus called hypocrites more than anybody? The Pharisees. The Pharisees were a group of people that they actually did, probably overzealous, they did what exactly they said. They religiously followed the rules. So that's how I know it's not talking about them, that the, uh, that the word hypocrite is not about something they say and not do. No, they actually lived out. They were devoted to doing everything that they said. But they did it with the wrong motive. They were actors. That's the term. It's a theater term. So, like, next time you go watch a play and someone comes out, be like, hypocrite. <laughs> No, don't do that. Uh, but it's a theater term, actually. Well, see, what happens is uh, what, when the actor, when famous actor would come into town, I don't know any famous actors. Somebody give me a famous actor. Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. Both of y'all said that, which is scary to me. Um, <laughs> Ryan Reynolds, yes. <laughs> Most wanted, you know. Um. <laughs> So what, what, what they would do, the theater, when, when Ryan Reynolds or a famous actor would come into town, they'd announce to everybody, hey, he's, he's coming to this play. And so everybody would go to the play, and, and they would watch the play. And, and what they do is because of either the masks or the costumes or the makeup that they're wearing, before that famous actor walked on the stage, they would sound a trumpet. They'd be like, boom, ba da boom, Right? To let you know, let us know, someone of a big deal is on the stage. So when Jesus says, do not be like the hypocrites, the actors who sounds a trumpet before you, what he's saying is, don't be so boastful that, 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 that you do the things for, for men and for yourself, but to do them for him. Do not sound a trumpet. What he's saying is, man, we need to humble ourselves. That really, it's, it's, a, it's a balance. It's like a seesaw game of who you really want to honor. Do you want to honor the Lord or you want to honor men? Do you want the, the, the praise from, from God or do you want to get the praise from men? Which I'll say this. If you live for the, the praise of men, if you live for their acceptance, you'll die by their rejection. If you live for the acceptance of the world, you'll die by their rejection. But even more, I just think... It looks ridiculous 
when we are living our life, our every motive is to please other people other than God. It looks ridiculous. You want me to tell you? Why? You want me to show you? I don't think y'all believe me. Can I show you guys what it, what it looks like? All right, let me get uh, London Rodriguez to the stage. Give it up for London. London uh, was a former student of mine in Velocity, um, grew up within Velocity, is actually the younger brother of Matthew Rodriguez, who's our student pastor. Um, and so London is, I mean, incredible young man, but more so, you're just a gifted trumpet player. And uh, I know you don't want to boast in it, because uh, you're humbling yourself. I get it. You're listening to the message for service. Okay. <laughs> But he, he play, you're on the marching band at uh, Texas State, just incredible, sophomore. Um, you got some fans here, there you go. Um, what's up, auntie, you know? But here's what I wanna do, I wanna do, can you just give us a little bit of some trumpet, play something for us. Way, pretty good, right? All right, we're gonna have a little fun, okay? Scripture says, do not be like the, trumpets, the hypocrites who sound a trumpet before uh, they do stuff, okay? And so here's what I'm going to do. Uh, I want you to play something, and I'm going to pretend that I am uh, just announcing to you guys what I'm doing, okay? Can, are you guys good with that? Okay, all right. You want to play something? All right, play this. Ladies and gentlemen, I am praying. Look at me pray. I am saying fancy words. I use the word all of my prayers get answered. Seems pretty ridiculous, right? Right? You want to do more? You sure you want to do more? All right, let's do more. All right, let's do, yeah, go ahead, go. Ladies and gentlemen, I am volunteering. I am serving here as a greeter. I give the best high fives. I have a badge that tells you that I am important. I have earned my badge. Kind of, kind of ridiculous, right? Kind of, should, I, should we do more? Are you sure? I don't know if they're ready for it. All right, go, go do it. Let's do another one. Let's do another one. Ladies and gentlemen, I am giving to charitable efforts. I am giving to GoFundMe. I'm not putting anonymous. I want everybody to know that I'm the one that gave that money. Too, oh, too soon. I hit him too hard. Uh, let's, do, let's do another one. Oh, let's do this one. Go ahead, go ahead. Ladies and gentlemen, I am fasting. I am fasting social media. So I'm going to post on social media that I am fasting social media because I am holier than all of you. Kind of ridiculous. You want to you want to do one more? Let's do one more. All right. All right. I don't know if they're ready for this one. All right, do one more. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a missions trip. I'm going to take a selfie with the little Nino and let people know. That no, all right, no. All right. Get it up for that. <laughs> Looks pretty ridiculous, right? Why do we do the things we do, and who do we do them for? If we do them just to elevate us, if we do that so other people will affirm us, we will have our reward, and it will just be that, maybe a quick clap, maybe a quick encouragement. But if we humble ourselves and say, no, God, 
when I pray, when I give, when I serve, when I fast, it's all for your glory, not for mine, then the reward is eternal. The reward is forever happening. Why do you do the things you do, and who do you do them for? You know, in Matthew 6, 1 through, 2, 1 through 2, we talked about, do not be like the hypocrites who give, who do charitable deeds. But Jesus follows up with verse 3. It says this, ready? But when, again, when, not if, when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in, ready, secret. And your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. In verse 5, we talked, uh, Jesus said, hey, do not be like the hypocrites when, when they pray. When verse 6, it says this, but when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Guys, this is not something that Jesus just talked about. He lived it. It says oftentimes that he would retreat and he'd go spend time in the secret place with his father. In verse 16, we, we heard about do not be like the, the hypocrites when they fast. But in verse 17, it says this, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. He says, go out of your way to even let people know that you, I mean, that you're not, like, they don't just, don't do it. <laughs> and it says, but to your father who sees in what? The secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. The big theme of what Jesus tells us is that we need to be in the secret place. Now, I know when you hear that, a lot of the introverts or the one who are timid will say that this is an excuse now that I don't have, have to have a public faith. That's wrong. In the chapter before, Matthew 5, he said, you are the light of the world. So hold on, chocolate bear. That's contradictory. That's contradicting yourself. How, how, how can I be the light of the world but also be in secret? Realize that it's not about a balance. It's about a timely order. That the light that is shown to the world is lit in the secret place. The light that is shown to the world is lit in the secret place. And I sometimes wonder that maybe the reason why we are not the light to a dark world is because secret places are still dark. Amen. That many of our secret places have collected dust. We can't be the light of the world if we have not first have, have the impartation of his light in us. The light shown to the world is lit in the secret place. So I just want to give you guys three things of why you should be in the secret place. Three things of why you should be in the secret place. The first one is this, that God is in the secret place. That's the simplicity of it. God is in the secret place, that his presence 
is in this secret place, that his holiness is in this secret place, that his mercy, that his righteousness is in this secret place, that his grace is in this secret place, that his forgiveness and his love is in this secret place, that his joy is in this secret place. I think someone today needs to hear that, that you've been struggling to have joy in your life and God is just like, well, come to the secret place because in me is the fullness of joy. That, that if we would go to a secret place, that we would experience more of his spirit, more of him, that he would impart into us him. Amen. See, not just is, is his joy and his mercy, but his correction is in the secret place. And his, his humility is in the secret place. You know, we sang the song earlier. I don't know if you caught it, but it said minutes turn into hours. When was the last time in the secret place minutes turned into hours for you? When was the last time that you were late to an agenda because you were too busy in the presence of God? When was the last time maybe you, you were late or maybe you missed work because you were too busy in the secret place? Now, some of you are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's my livelihood. I sometimes wish we would defend being in a secret place more we would defend our work. I wish we would defend more being in the presence of God than our hobbies. When was the last time minutes turned into hours? You know, I I said this last service, so if I get in trouble for this service, oh well. (laughs) But we, you know that we have 60 minutes slated for our worship service on a Sunday for us? And I sometimes, I'm like, man, it would be awesome if we went longer. You know how that happens? If you guys force us to go longer. If that, when you're midweek spending so much time with the Lord, and then you come in on a Sunday, you're like, all we get is an hour? No, I'm going to stay here. I want more. But we live in a culture where 60 minutes is too much. That we need to go, go get our kids and we need to go do this and that. And we're just like, no, 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 I, I had enough. I pray our church would be a church that minutes turned into hours. Amen. One, God is in the secret place. Two, the secret place reveals who you are in God. The secret place reveals who you are in God. What I mean by that, that that in the secret place is everything you ever need to know, specifically your identity. You know that scripture has in three times that the spirit says, Abba, Father. That in the secret place that you will understand and discover and strengthen the fact that you are the son and daughter of a living king. That you are the son of the Messiah. That you are daughter of the one true king. That in the secret place, you can give up a trophy for a crown. That in the secret place, that your identity is not being shaken, but it's being strengthened. Because you know who you are in Jesus. I think we live in a culture where the trophy that many of us are chasing is affirmation. That we need to be affirmed. And if you would just go to that secret place, you would be affirmed like you've never experienced in your entire life. 
See, in the secret place, God will affirm, encourage your identity and lift you up, but he will also humble you if you need to be humbled. And I think many of us can, we're probably pointing fingers, but we're like, that person needs to go in the secret place. <laughs> I think sometimes God looks at us and says, now nah, you need to be in the secret place. God is in the secret place. The secret place reveals who you are in God. And lastly is this. The secret place develops you into what God created you for. The secret place develops you to what God created you for. He prepares you in the secret place. Jesus, when he was on this earth, wasn't just to pass on information to the disciples. It was to impart himself into the disciples so that they would reproduce that to a whole world. It's the same thing in the secret place. God wants to impart himself, his character, his nature into you so that it would reproduce so that you can go make more disciples. I mean, God said, call unto me, I will show you great and mighty things. I sometimes wonder that the statistic of less than 1% of Christians ever winning a soul to, the, to Jesus or, or why we have such a shortage of uh, people that want to uh, take spiritual responsibility for lost souls is because either one, we don't actually know him, or two, you haven't been developed by him in this secret place. Because the excuses that we hear is this. Well, I just don't feel equipped. Well, guess what? In the secret place, he'll equip you. In small groups, he'll equip you. With chocolate bear, I'm kind of scared and timid. Guess what? In the secret place, he'll baptize you in the Holy Spirit and give you boldness to be a witnesses to the whole world. See, because a man that is intimate with God will never be intimidated by men. A man that is intimate with God would not be scared of men because we would fear the Lord and his glory. Well, you guys stand and let's pray. Father, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, will you move? Holy Spirit, will you convict? Holy Spirit, may it not be about my words, but just your presence in this room that changes lives. God, I pray you just do something miraculous over the next few minutes, Lord, that you are glorified, that you are lifted high, that you increase and we decrease. In your name we pray. Amen. Before we head out of here, I want to create an opportunity. I'm old school. I'm young, but I'm old school. You know what I'm talking about? See, I grew up in a church that valued the altar. What I mean by that is, I just remember always being at the altar. Matter of fact, when I was a student pastor, I wanted students to get comfortable with just coming to the altar for everything. See, because if you know scripture, an altar was a place where something was sacrificed. An altar was a place where something died. My question to you, what trophy needs to die today in your life? What trophy needs to be sacrificed 
so that he can give, get all the glory. And so here's what I'm going to do. We're going to create an opportunity to open up these altars so that something can die in your life. And I get it. I know, I know we live in a culture where it's like, well, I, I just want to uh, be a spectator. No, no, no. The difference between a spectator sport and what we do here is that we get to participate. And we don't have to wait till later. We can do it right now. And so here's what I'm going to do. When I count to three, I'm going to open up these altars for you to say, Lord, I want to I surrender this trophy in my life. Now, if you're like, you know what, I, I, I can't or whatever, or I, uh, can I make an altar at my seat? Sure. It's not about a logistical thing. It's about your heart. Because I truly believe that someone in here needs to surrender the, uh, the, the trophy of success. That you're striving so hard to be what the world calls successful. Like I just had that promotion. Like I just have this job. Like I just make this much money. Then I'll be okay. I think some of us need to surrender the idea of, of just more. God, God, build. I just want more, bigger place, a bigger house, a nicer car, more gadgets. I think some of you need to surrender and sacrifice the trophy of your dreams. That maybe your dreams are in the way of what God is calling you to. I think some of you need to walk hand in hand with your spouse and say, we are going to surrender our marriage to you at the altar, Lord. Whatever it is, sacrifice at the altar this morning. If that's you and you're ready to lay it down at the altar before the feet of Jesus, will you come up in one, two, three. Come up right now and say, God, I sacrifice this trophy to you. I died to this trophy to you. God, so that you can have all the glory, that you can have all the praise. Forgive me, Lord. God, if I've held on to any trophy,